0: Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. He is arguably one of the most significant people in all the Old Testament. He has inspired great art by the greatest artists of the world, artists like Michelangelo, Veggie Tales, great art, right? <laughs> Uh, David is mentioned more in the Old Testament than anyone else by far except Jesus, more in the Bible than anyone else except Jesus. Abraham, let's just do an audit, given 14 chapters in the Bible. Joseph, given 14 chapters in the Bible. Jacob is given 11 chapters in the Bible. David, 66 chapters in the Bible. If David's that important to the Bible, we need to get to know this person. But more than that, we need to get to know him for another reason. We've spent four weeks talking about G4 followers of Christ, followers at PCC, disciples who gather, give, grow, and go. Okay, gather, grow, give, go is actually the order. Because we believe we exist, we take up space in the city to empower the generations, to empower you, to empower me, here's the the line, to passionately, follow Christ. Not tepidly, not conveniently. The world wasn't uh, changed through tepid followers of Jesus. So we believe that we've got to follow in the line of church history of passionate followers of Christ. I don't know any more passionate of a follower of God than David himself. Not perfect by any means. We're going to learn that. He committed some of the most egregious and famous sin in all the Bible. But he was passionate. We're going to learn about that. Our study of David will not just be a history lesson. Oh, no. We're going to learn things like how to find confidence when you're rejected. That's coming next week. We're going to learn how to find courage when you face giants and seemingly insurmountable odds. We're going to learn where you find the power to get up again after you've blown it and you think you are disqualified from being used by God. And so much more. We're beginning this eight week series. Can you tell I'm excited? Chasing David, chasing David. Uh, And here's how it works. If you turn to page three in your message notes, if you wanna maximize this series, and we want everyone to, we don't just do this to fill our time. We want you to uh, maximize this. We want to invite you to prioritize the first G of being a G4 follower, gathering, doing what happens here. There's something that happens here that doesn't happen on a podcast. Now we're streaming all over the place. doesn't happen online. Please make it a priority to be here live with each other. If you can't do it, then get a podcast and and make sure you don't miss a week. And then grow through the Chasing David book. We have these books that were written by a friend of mine uh, in Aptos, California, and actually his uh, chapter in a book informed a lot of what I'm going to say today. Get a book, okay? We want you to follow along, and it's broken down. If you want to follow daily, you can do it weekly. But get a Chasing David book's those are for sale in the back for 10 bucks. You can go on Amazon and get them on Kindle. Then get in a group. Get in a group. Renee, uh, the author of this book, actually went on location and filmed videos. They're 15 minutes long to jumpstart a group experience. And you can see on page three of how to get in a group if you're not in a group. We say it around here this way. Circles are better than rows. Everything you like here happens better in a group. So get in a group. And then lastly, we're bringing this back. We did this during Lent. Uh, We have daily video devotionals that are ready to be pushed out, uh, but we wanna follow the law. So you have to ask for those, okay? A one-time text message, you can see it on page three. I wanted to push it out to everybody and I was told the FCC would frown on that sort of thing. And so uh, you've got to ask for it, but in eight days, we've got 40 videos loaded in the can, so to speak, ready to come into your text message inbox. They're just two to three minutes long and it's just a just a jumpstart, just an encouragement for you, okay? Here's what I'm most excited about in this series. Uh, there are are eight churches around the bay area doing this same series together uh and here's what's amazing about that stick with me everybody a lot of times we come at the 11 we ask you to prioritize a gathering and we think this is us here in this sanctuary this space at 11 i want you to know this isn't us i mean we have four gatherings on a sunday morning but friends this on the screen is more us And what's amazing about that, there's not one or two churches of the same denomination. We're all over the place. There's Pentecostals on there. There's Frozen Chosen on there. I won't tell you which one that is. Uh, there's Covenant. There's Presbyterian. There's a church in Alaska doing this. Our own Hispanic church, CFC, is doing this. They're doing it in different languages. So I want to you to know that there is a sweet unity coming together. Imagine, why is God stirring the whole Bay Area, at least these eight churches, to study the same thing at the same time? Could he be bringing the churches together uh, to be one? Could this be the answer To Jesus prayer in John 17, right before he died. Make him one, Father, so the world would know that you sent me. Isn't that great? Can we thank God for that? That's awesome. But today, for a prelude to David's story, uh, I want to talk about how we find hope in times of chaos. What I want to do is actually create a context for the David story and the David life. And to do that, I want to start with history. In this book, 1177 B.C., the year civilization collapsed, historian Eric Klein described what historians call the late Bronze Age collapse. In this book, uh, Klein says in 1250 B.C., history, humanity had never been more advanced in 1250 B.C. Uh, Up and around the Mediterranean, there was peace, there was international trade, there were large empires, there was stable economy, and then suddenly it vanished. Klein says it this way. I put the quotes on the screen. He says, the thriving cultures of the late second millennium BCE, which had stretched from Greece to Egypt to Mesopotamia, suddenly ceased to exist. Long-used trade routes were abandoned, along with writing systems advanced technology, and monumental architecture vanished. Kingdoms fell like dominoes, seemingly overnight. And historians can't agree on how this happened. Now there's tons of conjecture. Uh, most of the credible thought says there was actually a, um, a perfect storm of climate change, which caused drought. They could tell this through the soil samples. Which was made worse by earthquakes, which triggered volcanic eruptions. But they all agree the straw that broke the camel's back was this group called, and this is what they called them, the Sea Peoples. You can Google that and spend hours discovering who were these Sea Peoples. Some think they were the Philistines, some think they were others. But these were dreaded pillagers that sailed around the world, laying empire after empire after empire to waste. Friends, this is a scene in 1100 BC. This is our historical context for the life of David. Uh, This is what is going on in the world when we begin to jump into this amazing life. Now during this, there's people of faith And then we have a description in the scriptures of what the moral temperature was like for the people of faith. You can see that in your notes, uh, Judges 21, 25. Look what it says. In those days, Israel had no king. That was God's design. He always wanted to be their king. All the people did, look at this. They did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's not describing the culture, that's describing the people of faith. They disregarded God as their authority And they said, I'm my authority. I am the final authority on what the word, uh, it's different than what we have, the written word, but what God's word says. Friends, it was spiritual chaos in Israel in a context, almost, I'll use this term, post-apocalyptic context. This is the world that we jump into right now. I want you to think, maybe you've seen some of these movies, Mad Max, Planet of the Apes, Wall-E, Katie mentioned Hunger Games. It was a post-apocalyptic feel as we jump into this story. Only the strong survived. And understanding this will help you understand uh, the Old Testament greater. So many times we read the scriptures through our Western 21st century lens, not understanding the world that was going on. I get a lot of times like, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Such a violent time. Friends, they were violent times back then, apart from the people of God. I just told you what it was like. It was dog-eat-dog. Only the strong survive. Post-apocalyptic type feel that was going on. Now, how does this relate to us in the 21st century here on the peninsula? I don't know. Do you ever feel like some days, like the world is descending into chaos? It's easy to look at the headlines and lose hope. When you read the headlines, you hear threats from Iran, threats of the US, threats from China, the trade war, tariffs, all this stuff going on, it could be maddening. You kind of go, what is going on? Or maybe you're losing hope not because of the headlines but because of the mirror. You're looking at your own life and you see dreams in ruins, health declining. Your marriage is gone, relationships that matter, gone. Your job, gone or threatened. You're looking at your bank account, you're just going, how do I make it? Anxiety and depression, no wonder at our all time high in our culture, where do you find hope in a world that is chaotic? Now do you see how this might be relevant for us in the 21st century? This is the setting, my friend, as the curtain rises on the life of David. And in this story in the book of David in 1 Samuel chapter 1, in this intense story that we're going to enter into, almost action movie type story with spies and giants and swords and battles to introduce this high testosterone story. As the curtain rises, a woman walks on the scene singing a song. We'll get to that in a minute, but let's learn about her. Your Bible's open to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here we go. There was a man whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. Now let me just say, because I know we have young ears and older ears in the room. The Bible sometimes is prescriptive. It, it prescribes things. In the new year, we're going to be going through the book of First Peter almost verse by verse. A lot of prescription there. Do this, do this, do this. Sometimes the Bible's descriptive, it's not promoting, it's just saying what it is. This is a descriptive passage. This man had two wives. We don't encourage that at all. Okay, are we all good with that? Great. There was a man, his name was Elkanah. He had two wives. Hannah, her name means, by the way, in Hebrew, favored one. Grace, literally, it's a Hebrew word for grace, and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah didn't. That is a huge sentence in our story. Uh, because in these post apocalyptic, chaotic times, your family meant survival. Your kids were your security. More than economic security and social security, they were your military security. There was massive. Pressure, cultural pressure on women to have children. And then it goes on. I just jumped the page. Verse 6. Let's jump down to verse 6. So Penina, because she had no children, look at this. Great relationship between these two. Would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord kept her from having children. Verse 7. Year after year. Sit in that for a minute. Some of you don't need to sit in it because literally you're living it. It may not be infertility, and I want to be very sensitive because we do have uh, beloved people in our church that are struggling and wrestling through this. This isn't day after day. This is something you think God wants. scriptures give uh, complete license for you. You think this would be great. You're praying for it, and for some reason, it's not coming into your life. And year after year, she lived with Penina's taunts. Year after year, she lived with the cultural pressure. Year after year, she'd face each new day and be told, you stand out. You don't conform. Something's wrong with you. Do you feel her pain? Are you beginning to experience her despair? Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. That was a place of worship. And each time, Hannah... Of course she would, would be reduced to tears, pained so much. Have you ever been in this place? I have, where she couldn't even eat. Why eat? Food in my stomach will do nothing to cure the ache in my heart and the despair in my psyche. It's all she can do to get up each morning. The pressure put on poor Hannah is there because she doesn't live into the culture's view of her day of what a woman should be like. And before you think, oh, how primitive. Oh my gosh, we've advanced so far since then. Think our culture puts any pressure on women today? No, really, that's, a, that's not a rhetorical question. Do you think our culture puts any pressure on women today? I just Googled women's magazine Covers, I have safe search, made sure it was on. And here's the top headlines that came up this week. Ladies, do you know that in addition to having it all and being a success in the marketplace and a success at home, you need tight abs, lean legs, and cute butts. (laughs) You checked that before you came, right? And then if you have big feet and wonky toes, woe to you, even though they're in shoes, you better not have those either because we expect you to run the world. And then if that's all bad, let us give you 14 looks that guys love so you can compare yourself to some unrealistic standard that no one lives into. And we want to remind you of that so we airbrush every image we put on our magazine cover as if you should live in that. There's a CNN op-ed piece during my study this week from last year, February 2018, written by a mother, Kelly Wallace, who works for CNN, who has only daughters, two daughters. She says it's a great time to be a girl, and she, she built that out. There is more opportunity, and uh, you know we're, we're climbing to bridge a lot of gaps that horrifically are still there. But then she says, or is it? Because behind all the possibilities, she says, is a troubling development. Girls' anxiety and depression is climbing increasingly and turning tragic. She said between 2007-2015, the suicide rate for girls between 15 and 19, that's just in an eight-year period, has doubled, reaching a 40-year high. She says it's really a crisis, and I'm not overstating it. A study was done on university campuses from UCLA surveying freshmen, 150 full-time students in universities last year out of 200 colleges. And she said twice, the survey said, twice as many girls reported feeling depressed frequently or occasionally than boys. Twice as many girls said they were overwhelmed with all they had to do. She summed it up by saying girls are growing up with outsized expectations of personal and professional success. Do you think there's undue pressure put on women? Absolutely. Can it be different in our church? Absolutely. It should be. This should be a place, we're going to get to it next week, where, where we live by the moniker that God told Samuel, don't look at their outward appearance, for I have rejected him, said the Lord. First Samuel sixteen seven, God doesn't look at outward appearance. God looks at the heart. We want this to be a place, and this is aspirational in many ways. We've lived into it. In some ways, we've fallen woefully short. But where women thrive, because they make up with men the, and bear the image of God. We want this to be a place where, and in a true sense, biblical femininity prospers. Where the only expectation is you're growing in Christ, and true beauty is where Christ in you radiates through you. That's our desire. What I'm saying is, if you're a woman, you can still hear the voice of Penina in our culture today taunting you, and what I want to encourage you and say we need this is reject it with the truth of the scriptures who you are in Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. 1 Samuel 1.8. Why are you crying? This is such the male thing to say, okay? (laughs) Why are you crying, Hannah? This, This is her husband. Elkanah would ask, why aren't you eating? He should know all this, right? Why be down hard because you have no children? You have me. Every man has a nervous laughter right now. Uh, Isn't that better than 10 sons? Just in case you want to know. No, that's implied. That's in the Hebrew somewhere, I'm sure. No, it's not. Verse 9, once a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up. The Hebrew is much stronger. This was not written in English. It literally says, ladies, listen to this. She took charge, literally in Hebrew. She would no longer be at the um, expense and on the receiving end of the culture inundating her with these unrealistic expectations. She took charge in an, a countercultural way where might made right in that culture. She redefined strength as power through brokenness from the Lord. She goes to the place of strength. She hits her knees. Look at this. She got up. She took charge. And where'd she go? her war room. She went to pray. Worship became a weapon. She raised a hallelujah in the presence of her enemies. Isn't that beautiful? Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place besides the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish. Literally it means pain in her soul. And she was crying bitterly. Literally it's wailing loudly. This is her prayer life as she prayed to the Lord. This is the turning point of a countercultural strength from the culture's might makes right to, bro- uh, to power expressed through brokenness from the Lord. It's a turning point in the whole story. And we don't have time to go through the whole story because I know you want to get out of here at some point. Uh, I do too, actually. Uh, but she gets in. Let's jump down to verse 19. I actually, I would love to stay till 2 o'clock. Forget the 49ers. I would just like to be here. <laughs> jump down to verse 19, okay? They returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gives birth to a son. She names him Samuel. You know what Samuel means in Hebrew? Heard by God. She said, I've asked the Lord for him. Okay, so there's, there's the backstory of what we're going to jump into, her song. Okay, so fast forward now. We're jumping forward a few years from this point to chapter 2. There's a, there's a few years span between chapter 1 and chapter 2. She takes Samuel back to the tabernacle. It's a boarding school of sorts. And there's this dedication of Samuel. And it's the overture of For David's life, in the next ten verses, she's going to sing a song, and it's going to create the. This is amazing. You can't make this stuff up. It's going to create the story arc of the life of David, in First Samuel chapter two, verse one to ten. And she has no clue who David is. He's not coming for fifty years or more later. This is amazing. First Samuel chapter two, page two of your notes. Are you with me? Awesome. Here we go. Then Hannah prayed as she's bringing Samuel now, her baby. Uh, it's probably not a baby, her toddler, into the temple. Hannah prayed, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And here's the key line. In a world of cultural chaos, where there's threats of climate change and the sea peoples and, you know, I've already built out what kind of world we're living in. In that world, she says, and this is her hope, and I'm saying this because this is our hope too, there is no rock beside our rock. She's saying, I may be battered and beaten by the waves of the culture and fear and hopelessness and prayers not being answered and being taunted by Penina, but my feet are anchored to a rock. I'm just telling you here in the 21st century, that's your hope and my hope. It's our only hope. It's why we worship and gather every Sunday to declare to Jesus, you're our rock. You're our only hope. This is all we have. Yes, I'm gonna trust in the intelligence you've given me, or I'm gonna trust in the wisdom you've given me, but the core of my life, in the world of chaos, you're my rock. And I just wanna ask humbly, if Jesus isn't your rock, what is, who is? Standing on yourself as a rock, that will disappoint you and leave you uh, woefully short of any dreams you have, let alone becoming the best version of yourself. And it sure won't have, help you beyond the grave. Standing on your career as your rock. That, you, we all know that. economies come and go. You're only as good in this area as if you can produce. And at some point, we're all going to stop producing. Standing on a relationship, people die, people leave, people give up on the covenants they made before God to you. Disease happens. Standing on your health as a rock, that won't work. Who is your rock? Why isn't it Jesus? Why not every Sunday gather and make a commitment? Really what we try to do every Sunday is renew. You're our rock. You're our hope. Yeah, I blew it this week. Yeah, I fell short. But the cross made provision for that. I'm forgiven and I'm starting anew. That's good living, my friend. That's standing on the rock. If Jesus is not your rock, can I implore you, don't leave this building without settling that. Without settling that. Come talk to me. Come talk to anyone on the platform. Um, Please. It's why we exist. Now, in her song... She brings out three themes, and I'm just going to run through them fairly quickly here for the sake of time. I want you, I have homework, to read 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 1 Samuel chapter 2 with your message notes. And you see this lived out. This is the story arc of the life of David. Here's the first thing we read. God works for the excluded, not just the included. Verse 7. He lifts the poor from the dust, the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. That's David's story. We're going to see that next weekend. He was overlooked by his father. He was rejected by his brothers. And this is the one who becomes king. It's so bad, you guys. Next week you'll see Samuel comes to him and says, I want all your sons. He doesn't even pick David. He leaves him out in the field. He, he disowns his own son because you think there's no way that guy could become king. See, Hannah prays that in her own life, but it's a prayer for David's life and a a descriptor, and it's a descriptor of our life, too. Many in here, this is your story. You've experienced loss. You've been laid off. You've been divorced. You've been widowed. You're living with chronic illness. You feel like a failure. Who doesn't at some point? Has anyone not ever felt like a failure in their life? Stand up and testify right now. (laughs) You know what God says when he sees that? He says, you qualify. Perfect. I am the God of failures. I love that. Because when you fail, you understand fragility. You understand vulnerability. You understand humility. You understand inability. What it does is it opens your heart to realize, I don't have what it takes. And God says, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Secondly, God has a plan, even though the world seems out of control. I think we need this word today. For all the earth is the Lord, she says. The whole world is in, set in order. I read these and I think, is she looking at the same world that I'm reading about, that history talks about? Or is she looking at like a stroll through Faloli?" You would think that if she writes this, right? No, no, no. She's raising the hallelujah in the presence of her enemies. She's speaking out in faith. What the senses betray. And I just want to say seeing, hearing, thinking, our senses, feeling are such limited descriptors of truth. There's the eyes of faith that God invites us to put on and declare in faith what is true. That's Hannah. 90% of the Bible is written in times of spectacular loss in chaos, grief, and war. The Bible wasn't written by people in high and lofty towers who had it all good. No, it was written by people who, who were working it out in pain. Hannah is saying this because she's living in faith, making a statement. And then lastly, God works through weakness, not just strength. She says he will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in the darkness. No one, and again, to a culture where might makes right, she's redefining strength. Okay, this is important for us. She says no one will succeed by strength alone. (laughs) In her culture, everyone succeeded by strength alone. That's only how you succeeded. She's saying no. For mere success, for true success, you need way more than just mere strength. And we're going to see that theme in the life of David again and again and again. As David faced Goliath, who was the stronger one on earth, David and Goliath? David, no, well, David was stronger spiritually. Goliath was stronger physically, right? Uh, David versus Saul. David rising from his greatest sin against Bathsheba. Do you ever tell yourself, I'm not enough? I'm not strong enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not promoted enough. If you ever say that, uh, this study is for you. God says, I love the weak. I love using the weak. I will do that. And then finally, we gotta wrap this up. Kids are coming out, so let's wrap this up. Uh, He says this in verse 10. She says this, look at verse 10. This is really important. All these themes come together. Just track with me, please, for three more minutes. Everyone there? She says, God gives power to his king. You see that? Friends, they didn't even have a king at that point. This is a prophetic prayer into the future. And then he increases the strength of his anointed one. I'm going to teach you Hebrew. You want to learn a Hebrew word before you leave? The word anointed one. Are you ready? Is everyone ready? Come on. He gives strength. Thank you, Nicole. I will. He gives strength to his king and increases the strength of his. You ready? Messiah. She's looking forward past David now to a time when Messiah will come. And she's holding on in hope and saying, you know what? This one day, God will raise up a special leader for us. There's a king coming. That would be David. And then one day, way after David, Messiah is coming. And there's my rock. Here's what happens. We'll close this and, and go to prayer. Um, this story ends. Hannah ends. in 50 years later, 50, five, zero, That little boy grows up, he's a prophet. He walks into a ranch in Bethlehem. He says to a father named Jesse, bring out your sons and let me pick Israel's next king. Hannah never saw the answer to her prayers. She may have died feeling like she's a failure and yet her prayers were anything but a failure. Your faith will never ever betray you and in a culture that we live in today where might makes right let's redefine faith by going to prayer and letting god be strong in the broken that's where strength comes from let's pray father we can't wait we look so forward to reading this story thank you for the the life of Hannah, the prayer of Hannah. Thanks for your word that gives us a glimpse into this woman, into her soul. And Lord, we lay it down right now and we open ourselves to you and we ask, would you give us that strength? We confess this morning we are not strong. That is not a sign of weakness. That is true humility. Empower us, Lord, to be the women and the men the countercultural force for good that you want us to be. Lord, in empowering the generations to passionately follow you is just not a tagline, it is a lifeline for this church. We will be one day held accountable for that. Would you raise up passion in us? Start with me and then permeate through my brothers and sisters. Let us be passionate in our pursuit of you so we can be a force for good in this broken world. Holding out hope that you are the rock that's available to anybody who would turn to you. We pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.